Welcome back to the Wednesday Bible Study. We are thankful that you are joining us today, whether you are watching us live on the YouTube channel or you're watching an archive here on the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel or you're listening to an archive on the podcast channel. We are thankful that you are here or if you're some of the men that are here in the room. Uh, We come every Wednesday to you from the Rick and Bubba Broadcast Plaza and Teleport. Uh, We are back uh, with men uh, being with us in the room. You're welcome to join us if you're in the Birmingham area or you are local to Birmingham uh, a lot of you guys that were in here before, uh, a lot of you haven't made it back, and there may be uh, reasons uh, for that, or maybe you don't know we're meeting together again in person, but we are. So we'd love to have you to join us. Uh, most every Wednesday we're here, unless I'm on vacation, and so always pay attention as we keep you updated. All right, let's talk about a few things that are happening. All right, so the, there's there's man churches that are going on all across the country from the manchurch.com. Uh, we have men and women that listen to and watch this uh, uh, Bible study. Now, if you come in the room, it's men only because th- this is a foundationally men's Bible study. But women have joined us, and the topics certainly have no gender to them uh, most of the time. Uh, but uh, to let you know, the manchurch.com is a hub for you to go for men's ministry. Uh, if you're looking to implement a discipleship strategy for the men of your church or your community, we can help you. I, I think we're at 234 churches. Uh, now that have implemented uh, the men's discipleship strategy. And so part of that includes services uh, to either kick those off or to continue. We have a system of high challenge and high equipping. Men meet together in gatherings just as instructed uh, in Deuteronomy 16, 16, and also in uh, Exodus 34, 23, when God said three times a year, uh, Moses, bring me the men. I want to address them away from their women and children so I can speak to them because uh, men and women are equal, but they are distinctly different, regardless of what society may tell you. The Bible says we are distinctly different, certainly equal, uh, but not same. Uh, so what we do is get the men together uh, at least uh, three times a year. We prefer four, since uh, we kind of work in a quarter system. And then you, you have these gatherings, and that's what a man church is called. Uh, or you can use those at, uh, at a wild game feast or your prayer breakfast, or maybe you've got some things your church already does that gathers men. Uh, but four times a year we want to meet, and then every time we come out of a, a gathering, that gathering features high challenge. Then we come out of that gathering into high equipping, which is what we're doing here now uh, in, a, in a small group format. And we have a, a 40-week curriculum, actually have two of those, uh, that you can implement in your small groups uh, that feature me teaching for 12 to 15 minutes. Uh, and then you have a facilitator in your small group that has our study guide. Uh, if, if he can figure out how to download it. Uh, and then, of course, we, we they use that to walk through with, with, the, with the men in the room. So if you need our help, uh, themanchurch.com. Here's some, some churches that have us going already. Uh, this week, our, our, uh, our friend Rich Wingo, who's a member of this class, too, and has helped write uh, the devotional that we're going through right now. Wingo uh, will be speaking Thursday night, July 22nd. That's this week. If you're watching this live, he'll be at Journey Church in Laurel, Mississippi. They're doing our discipleship strategy. I've had the honor to speak there. Mark Garnett has already spoke there, and this will be their third man church. And now Rich Wingo will be speaking there, which means they're three-quarters of the way through the curriculum. Uh, So if you're in that area, Laurel, Mississippi, you want to join him, be there. If you've never heard Rich speak, it is worth your time. This weekend, I'm honored to be, uh, I'll represent themanchurch.com in Decatur, Alabama. Uh, I'll be there at First Baptist Church, Decatur. Uh, with Blake Kersey, the pastor, a dear friend, and I'll be speaking to the men of that church on Saturday night, the 24th. I'll stay there and actually speak to the whole church on this Sunday, 
the 25th. August the 6th, uh, Mount Zion Baptist Church in Huntsville, Alabama. I'll be there for their men's gathering. I look forward to addressing them. And then on the 12th of August, I'll be in Athens, Alabama, First Baptist Church, Athens. Uh, they're doing our men's discipleship strategy. This will be another man church. I'll be there to speak to those men. Uh, and then uh, Rich Wingo will be uh, in Op, Alabama at Westview uh, Baptist Church. They're doing the curriculum. He'll be there on the 13th. Uh, and then Brian Gunn will be kicking off the men's discipleship strategy on August 15th at Enon Baptist Church in Morris, Alabama. Uh, and then August 16th, Scott Dawson uh, will be at First Baptist Church in Troy, Alabama, as they continue the strategy. Uh, now, for those of you that wanted to come to the marriage conference that Sherry and I are doing on August uh, 14th in Pensacola, that is sold out. Uh, so there are no more spaces available for that, but I look forward to seeing the couples that will be there. So you're kind of updated on what's going on. Uh, let's open up with prayer, and then we'll jump into today's uh, next session uh, in our new curriculum called Discovering What It Means to Be a Disciple. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Be with us as now we step into today's uh, study of your holy word. Uh, help. Today's topic is difficult. Uh, it is something that we tend to shy away from, uh, not because you haven't called us to it or through your power enabled us to achieve holiness. You've called us to holiness, and you don't call us to standards that you can achieve. We might be called to a standard that we can't achieve, uh, but we're never called to a standard that you can't achieve. And may we look at it through that filter today. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So uh, this is session five. We're doing uh, speaking of the manchurch.com. We also have individual devotionals there. Uh, these devotionals are kind of a, uh, an individual look at, at a certain topic. And then our 40 week curriculums flow from these 40 day devotionals on a much deeper dive. This one will be a 40 week curriculum in the future coming up next year. Uh, but now it's available in the 40 day, uh, uh, you know, the 40 day edition, which is part of our uh, trilogy of the How to Be a Man series. One is the pursuit of Christ centered masculinity. The second one is Real Men of the Bible. And this one is discovering what it means to be a disciple. Today, we're going to need help because these five days inside the, the devotional were written by someone called Rick Burgess. So this is, I'll have to see if I can't work this guy out. So, so we'll work through some of the things. But all we need to care about in these five days, uh, which will all be crammed into this one hour we spend together today, we need to care about what the Bible says. Okay, what the Bible says. There's there's some testimony in here and all that, and I appreciate you taking time to look at that. But what the scriptures say is really all we care about. Remember what we've said when we started this seven years ago in here, guys, the guys in the room? Always be leery of a Bible study that does not feature the Bible. Okay, uh, if, if, if the Bible's in the name, then be sure the Bible's part of it. Uh, so that we will get into scripture today, uh, and we will go through many verses. So here's the topic today. Uh, we, we, we've talked about these before. If you weren't with us before, you can go back and get the archives. Disciples have been transformed by Christ. That was week one. Disciples surrender to a gospel-centered life. That was week two. Disciples hunger to know God. That was week three. Disciples desire to worship God. That was last week. Uh, all of these are characteristics, because what did Jesus call us to be? Disciples. What did he call us to make? Disciples. And so if, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus and we're going to make disciples of Jesus, then what is a disciple? What are the things that you should be looking for? And today, and this is one of these that we don't like to hear, but we can't get around it in scriptures, and that is disciples pursue personal holiness. I know. We don't, we don't like to hear this. 
Uh, we, we, we certainly love to hear about God's grace, and man, we're so thankful for that. Uh, we, we, we even talk about you know, things and, and works that we can do and how can we be changed and have a desire to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And, and, uh, but, but when it comes to holiness, and you've heard me speak of this before, but it's going to be all we're going to talk about today, uh, not just in passing, because this pursuit of personal holiness is something that a disciple of Jesus is called to. Uh, you know, we, we look at this very, very convicting uh, verse, uh, and it is in um, the writer of Hebrews. If you have the, your Bible or something with your Bible on it, the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12, uh, uh, says these, these things in 14. Strive, that's action, right? Strive for peace with everyone. Strive for peace with everyone. As much as it con- is, it, I'm concerned and you're concerned, we should live at peace with other people as far as it is applied to our actions. Don't let it be us that is causing conflict. Sometimes people won't live at peace with you. I acknowledge that. But we look at ourselves and say, as far as I'm living my life, I, I, I'm living in a way that we should be at peace, so it's not going to be on me. So strive for that. And then here comes the next part. For the holiness... Strive for the peace, for peace with everyone, and for the holiness. So we're striving for that too. Strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for the holiness that that the the type of holiness that that the Bible calls us to, because it says if you're not striving for this holiness, if you don't have this holiness, you will not see the kingdom of God. No one will see the Lord who is not holy. That's the writer of Hebrews, and, 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 and that's a very convicting message. Uh, but, but now let's turn over to Ephesians. If you have your Bible, let's go to the book of Ephesians. Let's look at Ephesians uh, chapter 1, and let's look at what uh, Paul says to Ephesus uh, in verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, I would underline that, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Don't overlook three. Now we get to verse four where he's going to talk about this holiness, but don't overlook three. Three is important. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So who, who, who is Paul saying that we want to thank the Father for? We want to thank God for. We want to thank him for his son, Jesus. We want, we want to thank him for the, for the second person of the Trinity. We want to thank you for Jesus. Why are we thankful? Who has he's blessed us in Christ with some spiritual blessings, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now here comes four. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So he's saying that. Jesus Christ has been provided. The Son has been given to us that we, because when He went to the cross and He said, I now will pay for your sin. I will now go into the tomb and walk out and I will now pay for your death. And now I have forgiven, I offer redemption for sin and I offer victory over death. And now, what do we receive in Acts chapter 2? Now I will give you the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. What's in the name? How do we describe this spirit? Holy. I give you the Holy Spirit, which now takes your dead spirit, and now my presence 
in you is makes you fully righteous and will make you fully blameless and will make you holy. So the reason why we have to stop there is we have to ask our question, ask the question of ourselves who claim this redemption, do we see that spirit that has overtaken our dead spirit, do we see the spirit of God in our spirit and the evidence, as we've talked about many times, do you see yourself being made holy? I'm not saying you're there or you've arrived, but do you see yourself in the process of being made holy? Have your desires begun to change, not because of legalism, not because of new self-control, but by the very presence of the Son in your life? And, and Paul says it should be happening and be thankful for that because he's providing the power that we need to then go back to what the writer of Hebrews said to achieve the requirement of we can't see the Lord if we're not made holy. Who makes us holy? Jesus. So be careful, especially with all the, the males that are in here because males like to go to work. Well, the, at one time they did. Uh, you know, a, a male who's worth anything likes to go to work. So what do we start thinking? Like, what's the game plan? So, so what's the plan for me to be holy? Jesus. You, you know, remember what I said that God's been teaching me so I can teach others because I got to learn it first. Abide, abide, abide. You, you immerse yourself in me and then I produce the holiness. I produce the obedience. I produce the fruit. The fruit of what? Fruit of the spirit. And what's the name of the spirit? Holy. You see how this works together? And so Paul's telling the church at Ephesus, be thankful for this. You have the power to be holy because of Jesus. Now let's go over to Colossians. Same guy. Paul's still writing these same things. Now we're at another church. And here's what Paul says uh, to the church, uh, the Colossians. Here's what he says in chapter 1 again, 21 and 22. This is Colossians chapter 1 and then verses 21 and 22. Write those down. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, that certainly was me uh, before Jesus, 22. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Who's he talking about? Jesus. In order to present you, look at this, holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Somebody say amen. See, here's God's, and, and, and we're, we're looking at a holy God, and, and that holy God is saying nothing can enter into my presence. Remember, we've talked about this, because I am holy. So nothing that, is, that, that, ha, that isn't completely holy can come into my presence, or I will, my holiness will kill your unholiness. There's nothing I can do about it. We can't enter into the presence of the Father without being made holy by the Son and then carry the Holy Spirit with us in there that, 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 that raised Jesus from the dead and makes us fully righteous. So he's remi- notice that these two times that, that, that Paul's talking about this to a church, he starts right out of the gate with it. He doesn't wait to, wait to get around to this because he, you know, he knows, and this is important today, everybody, if we don't get this right, then we can't get the rest of it right. We got to understand the source of all this so that we don't take, there's nothing worse. Remember the joke that, that I, that I, I've talked about with my daddy who I love. Uh, and God bless him. I'm so thankful that I had a daddy like him. He had a lot of, a lot of issues just like I did. 
But, 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 but at the end of it all, I was blessed to have a man like that in my life. Still blessed to have him in my life, at least to some degree, as he begins to age and, and struggle. But, but I, you remember me making the funny joke when I gave him a GPS for, for Father's Day. Y'all remember this joke? And he didn't, he didn't want it. And this is when you had them, you put them in your car. Now you have them on your phone all that now, or, or they come with a car. They didn't then. You added them. And you know, he's got his truck, and I said, hey, I've given you a GPS. He said, do you have the receipt for this? And I said, why? He said, I don't want this. And, and I love when he said this. Now, I don't want to hurt your feelings. By the way, if you just say that to somebody, it doesn't mean it happens. Just because we said it, you know, it still hurts your feelings sometimes, even though you tell somebody, I don't want to hurt your feelings. Well, you did. But anyway, so... So he said, hey, I, I, he puts it back in the bag. I said, do you know what that is? He said, he said, no, what is it? I said, it's a GPS. I said, you can put that in your truck and go anywhere you want to go. It tells you exactly how to get there. And he says, well, what? that's stupid. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, I don't go anywhere. I don't know where I'm going. And you can't really argue against that. You know, uh, who sets out not knowing where they're going? So, but, but we do that spiritually, don't we? We set out all the time with no idea where we're going. And so what Paul is trying to tell these churches is let's get this right so that we understand what we're doing and what we have access to and what's taking place. Hallelujah. So it says he has now reconciled in his body of flesh, Jesus, by his death, Jesus, in order to present you holy. Why are we so afraid of this word holy when it's all throughout Scripture? And blameless and above reproach before him. Thank you, Jesus, because that's not something I could do for myself. And so how does this take place? I know the guys in here can feel it. He's going to talk about John 15 again. I am. John 15. We're in the, the Sunday school class that Sherry and I are teaching. We're walking through First John, and we've quoted those verses many times. This is John. Uh, you're writing his first epistle. Uh, and, and then he starts talking about with the Gnostics that are coming in claiming that Jesus could not have been in the flesh because the flesh is full of sin. No one could be in the flesh and never sin. And, and now that we're in the flesh, don't make sin a big deal because we're in the flesh, but they, Jesus wasn't. And John's saying, I was there. I was an eyewitness. I touched him. And let me tell you something. He starts talking about abiding in Jesus. Well, where did he learn that? Well, he's reflecting back to what we call John 15. He didn't call it that. When he was writing down Jesus, teaching them, abide in me. You abide in me, and I abide in you, and I will produce in you much fruit, which brings glory to my Father and proves you to be my disciple. You know what he's saying? If you're not living a life that is being sanctified, that you're not becoming holy, then you must not have me, because if you have me at the center of your life, if the power of the resurrection has come into your dead spirit, I, Jesus, can't help but make you holy. So a disciple of mine would look holy, or they'd be on the way to holy. The process would be going. They wouldn't still be bogging down back in things that are not holy. And, and this, so this is the thing I want to touch on before we move on to the next part. Are we willing to do this? Are we willing to even, do we care about this commandment that is in Scripture, this pursuit of personal holiness? Now, apparently, overall, we're not. Because even in the church, if you start talking about being holy, people immediately go on defense. Well, who do you think you are? You're holier than thou. Holy roller. We, we even make fun of anybody who might be holy. And I think what you need to watch out for now, do sanctimonious people exist? Of course they do. And we need to be sure we're not. 
But I think a lot of times we're pretty quick to go to that when we see somebody that might just be devoted to Jesus. And we're not. And, and they take the things that they let in their life serious, and we don't. They take serious the things they watch, the things they hear, the things they eat, the, pe- the places they go, uh, the, 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 the way that they live their life, the way they dress. Maybe they take those things serious because they love Jesus. And maybe we don't because we don't love Jesus as much as they do. Maybe they're not sanctimonious. Maybe they're not holier than thou. Maybe they're not a holy roller. Maybe they're just a disciple. And that's what we got to be real careful of. Is this something, is this even a goal in your life? Do you honestly have a goal to be holy? Do you, is that even, is that even something you even talk about? You even consider? Well, scripture said we should. And scripture says it's a marker of a disciple of Jesus. If you don't believe this, now let's take, uh, let's go to 1 Peter. Uh, let's, let's jump over to 1 Peter. I've, I've been spending a lot of time in 1 Peter too. There's, there, there's a lot here. Now we know in 1 Peter, you know, we have the two, the two letters here uh, of Peter, 1 and 2 Peter. We've studied them both uh, in our Wednesday Bible study. If you missed that expository walk through 1 and 2 Peter, you can find it. You can go to uh, uh, the archives at BurgessMinistries.com and, and click on Listen and all those archives are there. Uh, a lot of these series you can also find on this YouTube channel. If you're watching that, just click on the playlist, and, and, the, and the Bible study will be available to you. Click that playlist, and you can search too. Uh, so we, we walk through First and Second Peter. So we know from that Bible study that First Peter is written to the persecuted church from the world, Nero, coming after the church. They, they're, they're getting killed. They're getting scattered. Uh, they're, they, they got problems with, with, with their attacks from outside the church. Then you get into Second Peter, and his concern is watch out for attacks from within the church. That's when he starts talking about false doctrine and, and heresy and false teachers. So remember, this is First T- Peter. So he's been talking about suffering. He's been talking about the persecution of the church. And then he gets down to these very convicting verses of, of verses 13 through 16. And they're very convicting. Listen to this. So he's already talked about salvation in verses 10, 11, and 12. All of you that have learned from, from good teachers, and all I'm doing is passing along what I've learned from good teachers. This is not something I knew. It's something I was taught. Whenever you go to the English translation of the Bible in, in, in English, if you see the word therefore, and we've learned this, look what it's there for. Okay, you, you, that means you've got to look back at what was said before that to see what's going on because it's a transition. And so he's saying, at 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about grace that was to be yours, search and inquire carefully, 11, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when they predicted the sufferings of Christ and, of course, the, 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 the glories that would follow, 12, It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. He's saying that that, that Jesus is our living hope, and we've been preaching to you about the living hope. This is something that even angels look at, this grace thing that's happened with us and God they, they long, think about the angels that went against God. They weren't offered grace. They're out. 
And so it says, this is what we've been preaching to you about. Don't forget it. Then he says, therefore, meaning now you're not ignorant about what God has done through Jesus. You're not ignorant about that anymore. Therefore, to all of us in this room and all of you watching and listening, therefore, preparing your minds for action. There's that word again. So he's not saying, don't worry about preparing. God's going to just work this out. Prepare your minds for action. And and, uh, in the Greek, this actually means to gird up your loins of your mind. You know, anytime you got ready for battle, well, you do, you gird your loins. You you, you got to be ready to go. And so Peter's saying, therefore, prepare your minds, gird your loins of your mind, and be sober-minded. That means be aware of the times you're living in. Don't just be going, dee, 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 dee. you know, you don't, don't be wandering along as easy prey for a predator. Be aware of what's going on. Be sober minded. Uh, don't be drunk. Don't be, don't be on drugs. Don't be letting anything cloud your mind. Be sober minded. Be thinking clearly, preparing for what's out there. Set your hope fully. Where should our hope be set? On our actions or the world or our job or no. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We who are redeemed, we don't dread the return of Christ. We anticipate the return of Christ. Now, if you're not redeemed, then you got something to be very concerned about. The book of Revelation is not a book that should terrify the redeemed. It's a revelation of the Jesus that we've been redeemed by. We're good with him if you've been redeemed. So he said, don't lose hope. Think about the grace that Jesus has provided. As, and this is the the words we don't like next, 14, as obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. You know what he's saying is, don't don't behave the way you behaved before the revelation of Jesus. You know better now. There was a time when you didn't know Jesus. There was a time you didn't know the gospel. There was a time you lived a different way. Now, you can't keep living the way you lived before Jesus after you've known Jesus because you can't claim ignorance anymore. Right? So he says the the ignorance was former, meaning it's not now. Y'all been told about Jesus. You're part of the church now. But as he who called you, verse 15, but as he who called you, who called us? Jesus. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Oh, no. Now, see, you probably, I hope you're not like me. I hope, I hope you don't have the struggles that I have. But I really did just being completely honest. I would prefer for that verse in my language to say that you who, those of you who have, the one who called you is holy, you also be holy in some of your conduct. Now, I'd like that. That, that, that's an attainable goal. I'm going to be holy sometimes. And some of my, not all of it, but that's not what scripture says. Scripture says Jesus has the power that you would be holy in all of your conduct, not some of it. All of it. I would go ahead, if you have your Bible in front of you, if you are bold enough to do it, I would underline the word all. I know we don't like it, but but before you panic, I think what you need to understand about that, you know, I don't have it underlined in this particular one, is I want you to understand that's not something to panic over, to be burdened by. 
what I think I want you to take away from this today, and I, and I feel this in my spirit strongly, I want you to look at that, and I want you to stare at it, I don't want you to shy away from it, and I want you to understand that what Peter is saying is Jesus really is that strong. Why we keep dumbing down Jesus? I get so sick and tired, and I get frustrated with myself when I think to myself, you know what, I, I've just, I've just, I'm, he has changed me about all he can. No, any limits of me being radically changed, I'm limiting. He's not. He, 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 he can take, like, you remember reading that thing from C.S. Lewis? Did I read that in here? I know I read the Oswald Chamber thing. When C.S. Lewis said that in Mere Christianity, he says, if you're shying away from being holy in all your conduct, he didn't use this phrase, but he said being radically changed, if you're shrinking, that was the word he used, if you're shrinking away from that, and you're doing that because you think it makes you so humble, you know, you don't want to be conceited and say that you're holy. He goes, no, if you're not shrinking away from that. It's really not humility. It's laziness. It's laziness. That's what it is. He said, because Jesus can radically change you. And if he hasn't, it's because you're too lazy. You haven't pursued him. What do, what, what do people just say? Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Jesus says, seek me and you'll find me. Abide in me, and I will produce much fruit in you. And so, anybody who says, "Well, you know, I just," you know, it, it, it's not that they're they're really. You remember what Adrian Rogers said that I love? The only thing worse than arrogance is false humility. That that's more disgusting than just straight arrogance when somebody pretends to be humble when they really aren't. And so, so what he's saying is, if you look at being radically changed, and you look at being holy in all your conduct, C.S. Lewis says, according to scriptures like this, that is not ego, that's not being an egomaniac or, or megalomania. He says, just obedience. That's all it is. And what we do, if we see some somebody being obedient, we claim that they're arrogant, they're, they're, that they're trying to bring attention to themselves, they're a holy roller, they're holier than thou, they're sanctimonious, when really they may just be obedient. And that's what it looks like, and we're shocked by it because we're not. Because it's a Peter said, "Do you think Peter's going to write something in here that can't be attained? Why is he telling people to do something they can't do?" Anybody ever? Does anybody think that's good leadership? That's what we talked about before. We tried to fix with with the, this this strategy with men's ministry is that we used to scream at men, "Be the spiritual leader! Be the spiritual leader! Be the spiritual leader!" and never tell them how to do it. We just had high challenge, but we had no high equipping. Well, you think Peter operates that way? I don't think so. I think if Peter tells these these fellow members of the church that are being killed by the day and they, they see their brothers and sisters hanging in Nero's garden and their bodies burning or illuminating his garden, I think if Peter, if there was ever a time he wanted to pull back a little bit, it would be right now. But he doesn't say that. He doubles down and said, oh, no, 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 no. Don't, don't let this, don't let this be used to draw you away. You be holy in all your conduct. And then he goes and he quotes from the Old Testament, Leviticus 11.44. He says this, since it is written in Leviticus, in Leviticus, Rick, how hard is Leviticus, buddy? In Leviticus, and if you want to write that down, he's quoting uh, 11.44. Uh, and he says this, he says, you, as you are holy, as you shall be holy, for I am holy. You shall be holy, for I am holy. That's what it says in Leviticus. That's God talking. You shall be holy, for I am holy. So 
So, it, so what, what Peter's saying is, if God said, you shall be holy, my people, because I'm holy, he doesn't mean that he says, hey, I'm holy, so y'all better go work on it, and you better come back in there holy. No, what he says is, since I'm holy, don't miss this point, this is important. Since I'm holy, you shall be holy. Who does it? He does it. It's he who makes us holy. And so he says, if you're one of mine, then I make you holy. So if you're not holy, it, then, then, then there's something about the power that I am that you aren't accessing. So something has to happen, and here it is. You must be willing to pursue holiness. You must be willing to pursue it. And, and I guess the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we willing to pursue it? You shall be holy, for I am holy. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct and give up the passions that were part of your former ignorance. Those are big words. Now, the next part in our study, uh, uh, we're talking about the uh, what does it mean, uh, discover what it means to be a disciple. And today we're working on uh, it means we pursue personal holiness. Now, for some of you, what I'm going to do next is going to be a little repetitive, so I probably won't land because we have spent a tremendous amount of time uh, in the years in this Bible study constantly going to Matthew 7. But we have to now because it's going to set us up. Uh, and I don't think that we, frankly, read this, uh, these convicting verses enough. Uh, I, you know, they're, they're not a lot of fun to get around, but we need to because I think, you know, if you're going to, you know, it's just like physical training. At, at some point, you got to start, start picking up heavier weight. If, if, if you want, if you want to get stronger. And so these are the kind of things that, that the Bible uses to, to remind us of how important it is to abide in Jesus because the standard is actually quite high. But, but only He can do it. And how, what's our part in it? Abiding in Him. We, we pursue Him. We seek Him. We, 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 we immerse ourselves in Him and in His Word through prayer, through the spiritual disciplines. So here it is, uh, and you're familiar with this, but it's important. Uh, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay. Let's land there for a minute. But this next line is the key, and it's going to shift us to what we need, we need to see in Scripture. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Okay. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So he says there in 21, B, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but, and that's where you need to underline, but the one who does the will of my father, meaning that is who the real deal is. So the ones that aren't the real deal are the ones that don't do the will of my Father. They may say all kinds of things about me, even claim they're chasing demons around in my name. But if you see something about them, just like in 1 John, John is saying the Gnostics, they're trying to teach you that Jesus wasn't in the flesh. Uh, we have we have versions of Christianity today, which is why I drew some backlash from someone who said, well, I, just, I think you're getting too carried away saying Bible-believing Christian. Now, I'm telling you today that's important because there's a lot of people who claim to be Christians, but they don't believe the Bible. So you do need to clarify that either you're a disciple of Jesus or you're a Bible-believing Christian because there are things that call themselves Christian that say that Jesus was not 100% man and he was not 100% God. 
They're saying that he is not God or he never was man. And anybody that says any of those things, they can say Christian all day long. That's not scripture. So what does Jesus say? Watch out for those people because they just said something you know is not true. Or they're doing something you know is in conflict with what my father said. So we should examine to see not only are teachers teaching us right theology, and, 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 and to know right theology, we have to, if we're going to spot wrong theology, the only way to know it is to know right theology, right? Remember what I said about secret service? They don't show them counterfeit money. They show them the general art, the genuine article so they know the genuine article so well when they see a counterfeit, they go, that's not real money. They never see counterfeit because those things, there's all kinds of versions of counterfeit money. They don't waste their time on that. They teach them the genuine article so they can spot the counterfeit. That's what we're supposed to do. And Jesus says, do you know what the will of the Father is? Do you know the things in Scripture that says this is the will of God, this is the will of the Father, this is my will? Do you know these things? Well, I'm going to take you to one, and it ties in to the pursuit of personal holiness. The will of the Father. Now turn with me to 1 Thessalonians First Thessalonians 4. Uh, this, is, this is Paul writing his first letter to Thessalonica. And you know what? He's pretty pleased with them. He he's actually says, you know, you guys are doing a pretty good job. He's, he's kind of excited about the things he's seeing in this church. And you may, may be thinking to yourself, well, you know what? I'm kind of excited about the things I see in my life. I see some change taking place. You know what I say? Good for you. But then Paul says, but now let me double down and be sure you don't, you don't fade. So look what he says. Finally, brothers, this is in chapter 4. We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, 1 Thessalonians 4, that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing. See, there's the compliment. You're doing a good job. That you do so more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you through who? Chapter 2. Is it their instructions that they came up with? No. These are the things we told you through the Lord Jesus. Meaning they knew what Jesus said. What have we said here? It's impossible. A disciple says what Jesus says to say and does what Jesus says to do. It is impossible to say what Jesus says to say if you don't know what he said. It's impossible to do what Jesus said to do if you don't know what he did and you don't know what he told us to do. That's impossible. So he says this. For this is the will of God. Underline that. Because Jesus just said in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, only those that do the will of my Father are the real deal. Everybody else makes a claim that's wrong. What are And there are many things in Scripture you'll find that says this is the will of God. But for, for this particular study, we're talking about holiness. So listen to this. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Your sanctification is the will of God. So Jesus says one thing to look, at, look for is, is this person changing? Do you see sanctification in their life? They may claim to be with me, but do you see the holiness that I provide? Do you see the power of the Holy Spirit? It's the will of God that he's he's saying this to a church that's doing pretty good. But don't forget, it's the will of God, your sanctification, that you should be maturing. You should be growing. And then he says, well, what does that look like? He says that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to conduct control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles, or that really what that means, the non-believing Gentiles, pagans is a better word there, who do not know God. 
So he says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, and 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, in, 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 in verse 3, chapter 4, verse 3, and then Jesus just told us in Matthew 7 that only those who do the will of the Father are the real deal, that everybody else is a fake. And then Paul says, don't forget, the will of God is your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual morality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness, there it is again, and honor. You see this theme? It's not silent, is it? It runs throughout Scripture, and it's a marker of being a disciple. He really drives that point home. Let's turn to 1 John, speaking of the first epistle of John. 1 John is going to take us in that same place. So, so another thing we have to look at in 1 John is kind of the point I've already made, but I think we can drive it home even, even stronger. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. Now, I've already told you that he is taking on a specific heresy. The Gnostics have come in, and I told you they're teaching that if Jesus was in the flesh, then he sinned. Because the flesh uncontrollably sins, and so don't take, don't worry about your sin. As long as you got flesh, you'll never stop sinning until your flesh is dead, which was a false gospel. And Paul, I mean, and John's taking this on, but we also apply it to our lives personally. So in, in chapter three, in, in uh, uh, verses four through eight, he says this: Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he, who, Jesus, appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides, underline that, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, this is a good teacher sharing our teachings right now so I can reference this, I just learned it. You see that he's kind of being rough at the beginning, but the good teacher is coming in, and what's he saying? Now he's calling us little children. This is John. He's older now. He's much older than when he wrote the, the gospel. But he's saying to us, little children, meaning I'm telling you this not to be a jerk, not to be mean. I'm telling you this because I love you. You are my children. As a father would teach his children, I'm just reminding you, I'm teaching you, don't let people teach you something that's in conflict with what I've already taught you. And I love you enough to tell you this. And so he says, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. Why? Because he is righteous. And what did Jesus say? I make you fully righteous. So what should flow from a disciple of Jesus? Righteousness. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Now, this is not talking about stumblings. This is talking about perpetual, deliberate, continuous sin. Whoever makes a practice of sinning, underline that, is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God, Jesus, appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So he says, here's two markers. Do I look more like a child of God, meaning righteousness, obedience and holiness flows from that, which is a marker of God in my life, or does sin flow from your life, which frankly is a mark of the devil? He's all, He's been sinning since the fall of mankind. He's been sinning since he tried to overthrow heaven. So if all you do is practice sin, you likely belong to the devil, and if you practice holiness, obedience, and righteousness, you belong to Jesus. 
The devil produces continuous sin. Jesus produces holiness, righteousness, and obedience. Fruit of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go on further. Look at verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed, there's the word again, abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. And here it comes, just what I said. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Now, that, that's not that difficult to understand, but it's hard to hear, isn't it? I mean, he, 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 John's saying, assess yourself. First of all, he's saying, assess these Gnostics. You really think that people do all the garbage they're doing represents God? They just told you that they, that they keep on sinning because they, they say the flesh can't stop sinning. Is that what I taught you? Is that what Jesus said? No, that's not what Jesus said. So you know they can't be true. So then he says, so then examine yourself just like you would examine these false teachers. I can't let this heresy come into the church. Remember what I taught you. And so if you're out there right now and there's some seeker-friendly church telling you that sin's no big deal, John would be screaming from heaven, there they go again. There they go again. And so he says to assess ourselves because from the disciple of Jesus should flow righteousness, holiness, and obedience. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And I love what he says, no one who abides, who says, who, who, he said, anyone who says they abide in him, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Then the next, I love it, this is good teaching. At first he says, anyone who says, that he abides in Jesus, can't keep on sinning. Then he comes back and he says, no one who says God abides in them can keep on sinning. Why? God's too powerful for that. If God's seed has made our spirits like God, the great I am who spoke creation into existence, who raised himself from the dead, is all-knowing and lives above time, he can't change us? Well, see, that's heresy. That's not that's not true, and that's what John and Peter and 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 the the Bible is trying to remind us. What did Jesus say in John fourteen fifteen? If you love me, then you obey my commandments. And 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 I've talked about this before, and and some of you've heard this before. I think it's real easy though, especially if you're watching this and uh, and you're married. If you're a husband or a wife, it doesn't matter. If you're married, the analogy still works. And you've heard me do this before. Uh, but maybe it's time to do it again because these verses kind of lend itself to it. And that is, if I made the claim that I loved my wife, because Jesus said, if you love me, then you obey me. And you may be saying, well, Rick, I, I love Jesus, but, but I, I mean, I've still got, you know, some sin that's perpetual, not a stumble. But, I mean, I really think I love him. Okay, well, let, see, that's where you got to be careful. When we make a claim, sometimes we might take the, 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 the true definition of what we're saying and dumb it down. So what does it look like to love someone? So let's, let's use this example because we do this to Jesus a lot. I say to my wife that I love her. And some of you have heard this before, but for those who haven't, just, just give me some patience. And I go to my wife, Sherry, and I say, I love you. And she goes, well, thank you. And I say, but here's how it's going to work. To show you that I love you, I'm going to come here not every Sunday, but some Sundays because, I mean, it may rain. Uh, I may be at a ball game that I got back late from. Uh, I might be on a hunting trip. I might be playing golf. Uh, and so... I don't expect me to be here every Sunday, but I'm going to be here some Sundays. I'm not only sure I want to say most, but but some Sundays, if it's not too inconvenient, I'm going to come here and I'm going to tell you that I love you. I'm even going to bring you flowers. 
I might bring you a gift. I might even sing. I'm going to write some love songs about you. And I'm going to come sing those to you in the morning, not all day, but in the morning on Sunday sometimes. Okay? Now, about lunchtime, honey, I want you to know. Now, I do love you. But about lunchtime, I'm leaving. And you will not see me again, or we won't speak again, for the next six days. Now, during those six days, I just want to prepare you for this. You may hear of me being with other women, or if you're a woman, other men. I won't be loyal to you, but I want you to take that as I don't love you. I, I'm going to go out and spend time with other people, much more time than I spend with you. And and I'm going to go out and I'm going to to spend quality time and, and kind of, there, there's going to be moments next week you're going to wonder if I even know you exist. But don't take that personal. Doesn't mean I don't love you. Now, next Sunday, if it doesn't rain, I'm not playing golf, I haven't been at the ball game, or I'm not hunting or fishing, I'm going to come back if none of those things happen. And then I'm going to tell you that I love you again till about lunch. Do you think that my wife thinks I love her? Honestly. Do you think your husband would think you loved him if you're a woman? Just flip it the other way. So here's the question we have to ask ourselves. Why do we think Jesus buys that garbage? I mean, do We love you, Jesus. Really? You don't act like it. Maybe that's why we're not holy. Probably. Maybe that's why I'm not righteous. Probably. Maybe that's why I don't obey you. Because you said if I loved you, I'll obey you. And then Jesus says, so what, what Rick just described, is that love? Anybody ready to call that love? Anybody? No, it's not love. So you, we, we may claim to love Jesus. And by the way, here's the good news. Jesus has already made a, he has proven that he loves us. Proven. Came off the throne, didn't have to. Came to, 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 to earth to take on, lower himself, king of kings, lord of lords, lowered himself to be lowly and meek. By the way, that's over. He's returned to his place of glory. But he didn't have to do that, but he did. Then he was mocked and suffered and went to a cross and, 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 was, and was tortured and in and, 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 and gruesome fashion, took on the wrath of God that we deserve and said it is finished and even told his father not to hold our blasphemy against us because we didn't fully understand yet. Wow. And then he went into the tomb then he went and he stood before all the angels and, and Satan who tried to circumvent him paying the price for us and said, hey, you didn't do it. I beat you. First Peter chapter three. I beat you. I, I was, I'm the God man. I made it happen. I redeemed him. I beat you. You didn't stop it. And then he rose out of the tomb on the third day, taught us for 40 more days, gave us his word, sent his disciples out to keep telling us who he was and said, I'm coming to get you, and I offer redemption to anybody who will repent and submit to my lordship. So he's on record for how much he loves us. The real question is, do we love him? That's the big question. And I don't know the answer to that. I can tell you in my own life, there's been times I claimed to love him that I didn't. But I'll tell you what, I, I'm, I'm reading and learning his word, and I'm realizing that uh, that I want my life to look a lot more like I love him. And I will tell you that when you do love him, you do start obeying him. Amen. Yeah, you really do. But not until you love him. You want until you love him. I'm speaking from experience. That's not judgment on you. <laughs> it's, it's a fact about me because I've seen it in my own life. So let's, let's close with this. Go to 2 Timothy because this is important and it ties into what we just said. 2 Timothy on this pursuit of personal holiness. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 
uh, verses 20 and 21. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, okay, these things that are dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. What kind of vessel am I? What kind of vessel are you? I mean, when, 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 if we were a vessel sitting in the house, are we dirty and can only be used for dishonorable use? Or are we sitting there clean and holy, ready to be used? Some of you may be saying, and I went through this too, some of you may be saying, God really has never used me. Well, maybe he can't. Maybe he's... You remember Calvary Road? We did Calvary Road by Roy Hessians. That that remember that image of dirty cups? You remember that? The Holy Spirit doesn't fill dirty cups. I mean, he he, cut, he, he takes us and he looks in there and goes, eh, "Too dirty. I, I I I I can't I can't work with that. That's not a vessel for good use. It, it, that's that's too much garbage in there." And this is what this is what Paul is telling Timothy. I love this image of a house. You you all know it. Right now, if I if I if I were to walk um, into the house and like you go out into an area of the house you haven't been in a while and you see a bunch of old nasty stuff laying around, dust all over it, you're not going to use that. Would you serve that to your guests coming over? Wouldn't you go find the plates and the cups that were clean? You wouldn't just go grab anything out of any pantry, anywhere, or any box, and just pull it in there and make people drink and eat out of it, would you? Well, God didn't do that either. He, he said, so so we have to ask ourselves. I have to ask myself today. Have, have, am I willing to cleanse myself from what is dishonorable so that I can be a vessel for honorable use? And I and he says, so, so what happens to the vessel that is of honorable use? It is set apart as holy and useful for the master. Ready for every good work. I remember coaching one time, and I had a kid who came to me, and I appreciate his boldness. I was a little disappointed on his inability to think this through, but I helped him. And he came to me, and he said, I don't know why I don't play more. I said, okay. He, he said, I said, so you think you should play more? He said, yes, I do. I said, okay. I said, so let's walk back. I said, do you remember the first half? This was the halftime. He said, yes. And this was when I was coaching uh, lacrosse that my son was playing. I said, do you remember the first half when I put you in? He said, yes, sir. I said, do you remember when you came right down the middle of the defense, wide open, and your teammate passed the ball to you perfectly for a wide open shot on the go? Yes. I said, and then what happened? He said, I dropped the ball. I said, you didn't catch it, did you? No, sir. And I said, then what happened after that? He said, well, the other team picked it up, went the other way, and scored. I said, that's why you don't play. I can't trust you. Now, if you would work and get yourself ready to play and you go do reps 
In our case, if you go abide in Jesus, you abide in the word, you start getting yourself ready, you start cleaning up your act. And if I were to look over on the sideline and see you standing there ready to go, and I knew if I put you in there, I could trust you not to let us down and not to make us look bad, then I'll play you more. But I ain't going to play until I can trust you. So if you want to play, then you better get ready to play. You don't just get to be thrown in there if I can't trust you. And, and God looks at us the same way. And here's the beautiful thing. <laughs> Talking about being humbled. I sit here and get the opportunity to do things like this. Stuff going on with themanchurch.com. And you know what I'm always reminded of because I know it's true. And I've heard other pastors refer to this and it's true. Is I know for a fact when I think about how inadequate and flawed that I am. And God has reminded me this before. Hey, Rick, you weren't my first choice. You just said yes. You just finally agreed to do it. There's people much more talented than you, people much more gifted than you, but they're dirty cubs. They won't say yes to me. So anytime I start getting a little bit full of myself, I'm reminded I'm probably fourth string. But I was willing to say, I will not let you down if you put me in. People much more talented than me have said no to you. I say yes. And you know why I say yes? is because I know that anything that is good about me is because of your grace. And if I try to do anything without you, I'm not talented enough to do it. Do y'all realize, my, my wife can, will tell you this straight up. I remember telling her, I can never teach a class. I'm not, I'm not good enough. I don't know how to teach. I'm not a good teacher. And I remember her saying that, Rick, everything is difficult that you don't prepare for. Everything is difficult you don't prepare for. I remember a woman coming up to me one time, the first time I ever spoke anywhere, and she said, you don't know the Bible well enough. You may be able to get up and be funny, but you don't know the Bible well enough. God told me to tell you that. You know what she was saying is, if you don't get ready, he's not going to use you anymore. Because he doesn't use dirty vessels. He doesn't use unprepared people. So how do I prepare? How do I become holy? By totally dying to self and totally submitting to him. And saying, you make me something that you can use because I can't do it. But I know you can. And I know that you can make me holy because I certainly can. And I know that my holiness will reflect that I truly am your disciple. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity to gather together. Thank you for the words and thank you for the grace and thank you for the hope that we find in you. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today, maybe today somebody's needed to hear that you are ready to use them if they will simply clean their act up and abide completely in you and let you make them a vessel that is clean and for honorable use and ready for every good work. 
Help us, Lord, in this pursuit of holiness that only you can accomplish. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being with us. We'll talk to you, Lord willing, next week.